Welcome to Raised on It, episode number 12. We're talking a little Mark Twain, Hemingway, Shakespeare. That's the subject of today's podcast. Talking all things songwriters, which I feel like is an underrated, but maybe not underrated. I think it's an underrated group of people. Maybe not as well known Mm -hmm. uh, as they should be, but... At the same time, I feel like now with social media, they're becoming more more of a celebrity than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right, because there's actually a place where like the artist can go and be like, hey, this song that you all love, shout out to my man or my girl who wrote True. this. Um, that's a very good point. I think that's part of it as well. So, And it's also because these songwriters, I mean, most can sing too. Right. Yeah, they, play multiple intru- instruments and like they know how to it's put a song together. It's not just lyrics or notes. You got to put think of the drums and the guitars and piano and yeah, it, they're the true engineers behind everything you hear on the radio. Right. And I think especially for I think you share the same sentiment as Rob is looking for new music and new artists, up and coming artists. Yes. And that's a big way for artists to like break into country music is to start with songwriting and then go, you know, into releasing their own songs for themselves rather than other artists. And, um, yeah, I, don't I mean, know. there's been a ton of that recently. I don't know how many people can like pack up their bags, go to Nashville and be like, I'm going to make it as a singer. No, you got to start somewhere. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can sing covers of, of songs and yeah, you have a great voice, but everyone in Nashville has a great voice. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about like, what kind of a song can you write? Can it be a number one song? Can it last on the charts? And then from there, like you get signed to a publishing deal and the publishers are the ones who find songs to give to the artists. Right. And so publishers, they get a cut of it too, but they want good songwriters. Otherwise, the artists won't come to their publishing deal. And it's like, it's I don't want to say it's like the dirty side of country music, but it's the underbelly. Yeah, it's just you don't we don't see that side of it, right? And I um, wish like a documentary would be so sweet. Like, oh, that's uh, someone's. If anyone hears this and steals this idea, I hate you, but I would love this. I would love to do a documentary, whether it's Netflix or something, a miniseries of. A song from start to finish. Yes. And the process from writing it, trying to figure out how it's supposed to sound, to recording right. it, to going on tour and, and music I went from video. Like an actual songwriter because like yes. if a, if an artist wrote it, they're probably gonna cut it. But I wanna see like mm-hmm. how it gets decided, like who gets it. Because I think that was part of it too. Like the song has to match the artist. And I think like, you know, we've gone back and forth like this song was originally offered to this artist. Can mm-hmm. you imagine them singing it? No, it really fits this one. So, like, that's part of it, too. You can write a great song, but it has to fit the artist. It has to be believable. Yeah. I don't know why CMT hasn't come up with this, like, reality TV show where they just follow a bunch of songwriters around. Because they're too busy watching, like, the cheerleaders in Dallas. And, like, bachelorette parties in Nashville. Right. That starts soon, right? You heard about that? There's, like, a bachelorette party show coming to CMT where they just follow bachelor parties around in Nashville. Oh, yeah. Oh. True story. There's a lot of them there. So I can see where, yeah, but eh, that doesn't bring in money. Right. I feel like our idea is much better. Exactly. Copyright it. Raised on it. Boom. We got it. Done. All 
right. That's the end of that podcast. So singers listening. that have become song or songwriters have become singers. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to like skip ahead, but like Shane McAnally just rolls them out like songwriters that turn artists. He basically like the smack songs is his publishing deal. Oh, right. And like songwriters there were like Matt Ramsey and Trevor Rosin, who are part of Old, Old Dominion, Dominion. Yeah. Sam Hunt. Casey Musgraves, like, it's crazy. I feel like, and even, like, now up and coming, like, Renee Blair is part of that. So Mm -hmm. you're going to hear her. It's just, like, bound to happen. But, like, if you think about it, like, Sam Hunt wrote for Kenny Chesney and Billy Currington, and then he wrote his own songs. Keith Urban. I was reading about... He was not happy about that. No, he was was so mad. Literally pissed off. Yeah. And if you listen, like, he something like that happened. Like, Cop Car was based off, like, true events. And his version is better. I would agree. Yeah. But at the same time, maybe he just wasn't... I, I don't know what went down with that exactly, but yeah. I think there were some misunderstandings where he wanted to keep it, maybe, but then it got shopped around, and before you know yeah. it, Keith Urban's cutting it, which... It's the number one song. Yeah. And I heard that's like some of the dilemmas, too. Like, if you're an up-and-coming songwriter and you have this song, because it's always like, what do you hold on for yourself and what do you give away? And so you can have this really great song that's really personal to you that like only you want to sing. But if you give it to an artist like a Jason Aldean or a Carrie Underwood, there's a good chance it's going to turn into a number one song, which is profitable to you. Mm-hmm. So do you give up a little bit of like your own, I don't want to say like self-worth, but you know, whatever you want to call it and say, I need to like get my foot in the door and then I can start making songs for myself. I think that'd be a, that's a challenge too. I was talking to one of my friends, Chuck, he works at a pop station in one of the stations in town and like songwriters Do you know all the DJs in this town I, it's it's kind of weird like I know and I know enough yeah yeah we could probably have a podcast bringing all these local radio, yeah. radio DJs on um but songwriters get I mean they're the ones making from my understanding is a good chunk if not most of the money off of the song from like radio play right um where the artists I mean they get a chunk of that too but they're they're getting it from touring and all the concerts and merch and that sort of thing. So as a songwriter, I think it's, it's gotta be an interesting, at at what point do you say, okay, I'm making a good living as a songwriter. Do I want to break this and like take a chance? Right. And if I take a chance and I fail, will I still be able to write good songs and be welcomed back into that? I don't know. Yeah. I think of like like Chris Stapleton, he wrote like 30 like big hits. And then, like, so when he, like, I remember when he first won, like, a CMA award, I was like, who the heck is this guy? He's been winning him since, like, what, 1992? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It feels like that. Yeah. But, like, he won. I was like, who is this guy? And, like, everyone else is like, oh, such a deserving guy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, because he's been in the circles and he's been writing songs for everyone that they know. So I imagine feel like you have a lot of support. Yeah. Imagine if you would have done the solo artist thing. Five, ten years earlier? Oh, gosh. We'd be onto someone new already, maybe. I mean, possibly, probably. Yeah. So as far as, I mean, we kind of we kind of went our, sep- not a separate ways as far as this podcast, but you wanted to focus, it's fine, but so your end of it is artists that were songwriters, right? So we're talking like your Cole Swindells, Phil, your Phil Vassar's. We'll put Taylor Swift in the category. Thank you. Wow. I, <laughs> I mean, it. honestly, she and she did go like door to door, like when she started off, mm-hmm. just to like make it. And so, it's something 
that I think we both agree on. Like you respect the artist more when they can write maybe like half their songs on their album. Like Eric Church is a big one. He writes like majority True. of the songs. And it just feels like, so you're, you're just a singer. And in other words, it's like, I don't know. Like, what are you doing? Does it music mean more to you than that? Aren't you in it for the creativity part of it, for writing about life experiences? Or are you just there to sing other people's words? That's a good question. I mean, Tim McGraw, I don't think he writes a lot of his songs. Right. And I was thinking about this, like, there's one one songwriter. He's written, like, 60 songs for George Strait. Yeah. Okay. George, pick up a pen and paper. What do you got? Jason Aldean, like... Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a few songwriters where they're basically an artist's right-hand person. Sure, yeah. Um, whether, we, we'll get into some of these in a bit, but um, like Hillary Lindsley's written pretty much every Carrie Underwood yes. song. Um, there's a, there's a guy... Red Atkins <laughs> writes every Blake Shelton song. Yeah, Blake and Jason. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, that, that's an interesting element of it. But I, I think, I think we are seeing more and more of... Artists wanting to have their hands in on the project. Yeah. Or, I don't know if that's just the way the business has evolved and changed. I don't know. Because I, I think of like Carrie Underwood when she first came, obviously she came from like Idol. But like her last, like this last album, uh, Cry Pretty, like she produced it. She yeah. wrote like, or like was in the writing and you can, you hear that. Like, mm-hmm. and I think like maybe each album you want to push yourself, you want to try something new instead of just go in and, and record the song. So. Yeah. So you mentioned Rhett. 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 Do you know, like, he's Thomas Rhett Atkins Sr.? That's the full name? Yeah, I didn't really? know they were, like, junior senior. So Thomas Rhett is actually junior? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call it. If I ever, run it, if I ever see him, I'm going to be like, hey, junior. <laughs> T.R. Junior. Yeah. Huh. Then I'm almost, I wonder if they, if they would ever have a son, if they would name. The third. Yeah. I bet. Maybe. I mean, I'm so convinced he has one of the best country songs of all time. That ain't my truck. Oh, seriously. Yeah. And like, you think he writes that song and it's such a big hit. And he kind of like, this is what I like to do. I'm just going to keep writing. Like maybe some people just don't, not that they don't like to sing, but they'd rather just go and be like, I'm writing a song today. And I heard somewhere that he said he usually writes about 150 songs a year. Sure. I can see that. And he has 18 number ones. So just look at like statistically, some songs don't even like maybe make it somewhere. I would love to go to like the dungeon where like all these songs that have not been picked up by an artist go. Wouldn't that be so cool? Oh yeah. I mean, they're not picked up, but I feel like they're still in their back pocket. There is, oh, I forget what song it was. Someone wrote for, and and Brad Paisley really wanted it. Oh, it was Today. The song oh, Today. Yeah. Um, and it was like years ago, like seven years ago. And that was tied with like then, right? Yeah. And so he went with then because he's like, well, we already have this kind of song. We'll table it. And then like it's six or seven years later and he goes back. Yeah, I still have it. Yeah. Those are the songs I would love to see or hear, I guess. Right. And I'd be curious to see, yeah, how long does a songwriter hold on to it? And or do they have do they hold on to it? And then six, seven years later, they're listening to it again or rereading and they're saying, I mean, it doesn't totally fit, but I can use like this piece of it or right. that part. So, yeah. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, some of Rhett's, I mean, Jason, Aldine, when she says baby, Blake, honeybee. Yeah. 
son. It goes like that. Goes like this. Yes. Uh, John Party, dirt on my boots. And I think for you, just I mean, just the longevity. I think too is that right. His songs continue to when he was killing in the '90s to the 2000s, the 2010s. Right now, um, I think his last big big hit was. I mean, pretty recent was Small Town Boy. Dustin oh was. yeah, that was huge for Dustin as well. Like oh, career changer. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's also part of the Peach Pickers. Yes. Tell me more. Oh, tell me more about the Peach Pickers. Well, it features a couple other songwriters, which we can um, get into, but it features Ben Hayslip and Dallas Davidson. Oh, yeah. 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 So um, someone asked them, and I'll share all kinds of different anecdotes, but someone asked them in an interview, like how they work so well together. Um, and basically all three of them, they didn't grow up that far from each other in Georgia. So they speak like the same language as mm-hmm. far as like the culture and how they grew up and all the country stuff of hunting and fishing tailgates. Um, so they don't, there's not much of like, they get each other, like they're in right. each other's, um, mind where if it was someone else, you know, they might, they might have to. Like, spend more time saying, yeah. like, oh, this is what it means Explaining, to me. Explaining, yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think that's cool that... For sure. I mean, they definitely write on their own or with others, but yeah. when those three get in a room together, it's... Uh, and it works. And I mean, some people, they say... You know, you always hear, like, writing rounds that go on in Nashville where you just, like, get together with a group of people, group of writers, and just smash out some songs. And it's like... I, it seems like you got to be really, I don't want to say like vulnerable, but really sure of yourself to like throw ideas out there or talk about like a certain experience that you have. Cause like most songs are written about true things, at least in country music. Yeah. So one of the other, so one of the guys is Dallas Davids, Dallas Davidson. He's one of the peach pickers member. Um, honky donk, but donkey donk yes. was his first, what a Hit. song. Yeah. 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 I'm not a huge fan, but. I know. It's just, what a song. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, he's like best friends with Luke Bryan. Really? Yeah. He actually convinced, Luke convinced him to move from Georgia to Nashville. Wow. Yeah. Um, he says he didn't have a guitar until he was like 24, which. That's I mean, crazy. Makes sense. Like, there's. Myself included, plenty of people don't know what they want to do. and Sure. Um, so he was starting to learn how to play and was writing songs. And he's like, Luke was my best friend. And we had just moved him up to Nashville. And he would call Luke and say, like, oh, I'm writing some songs. And he'd play it and share it. And um, Luke's like, I need you up here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Write songs for me. Right. Like, we're on the same page. Like, the peach pickers. Like, they speak the same language. Yeah. They identify. So... Um, yeah. Would, he, would you call like their music, like the bro country, like the peak of it basically? No, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like to me, bro country, I feel like was such a short time period and then it kind of evolved. Like it, I feel like Sam, Sam Hunt was considered bro country. Really? I, I feel like FGL. I feel like when Sam like Hunt and Luke FGL. Was. I, a little bit. Country I feel like, girl. 
Yeah, it's, but to me, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the term like bro country because I'm like, I just look at it like that's just the way country music is was evolving and the way it went. Like, if it was really successful for artists for two, three years, like, great. Like, that's the way it went. Like, yeah. There's, there's one songwriter where, like, his publishing um, group came back and said, okay, we need another song, but it can't have the word boot or dirt in it anywhere. Really? <laughs> so, like, I feel like at some point it gets maybe repetitive, but the fans still like it. And I feel like with the peach pickers, they know what we want to hear. Because mm-hmm. obviously, even though you could call it bro country or whatever those songs are, but like Sam Hunt, Florida Georgia Line, Jason, Luke, they're all at the top of the charts for a reason. Exactly. We like the songs. Right. They have their fun like party songs, but then they have good like, I don't know, meaningful, deeper songs. So. Yeah. Because if you listen to like Sam Hunt's acoustic mis- mixtape. Oh, Between the Pines. You, I mean, you don't listen to that and be like, oh, this guy's such like a bro. Right. You'd be like, okay, this guy's good. Yeah. Exactly. One other story about the peach pickers. Well, not the entire peach pickers, just two. Mr. Hayslip and Rhett. They wrote Honeybee. Okay. By Blake Shelton. Sure. And like this like this story just cracks me up, like how the song came to be, because it's like just the randomness of words and like how that can turn into another word and then another word and then another word. So um Basically, Ben tells a story that um, Red and him had like a writer's thing and they met up and usually they go to lunch and they don't even really talk about work or anything. And then they come back and then they sit around and try to figure it out. And uh, nobody really has any idea. There's not any like set direction. They just kind of shoot the shit and go. So one day... (laughs) Rhett was going through a magazine trying to find something to spark an idea. (laughs) And he came across an article about the governor of Arkansas at the time, Mike Huckabee. So, yes, true story. Uh, So Rhett starts mumbling, Huckabee, Huckleberry, how about I'll be your Huckleberry? (laughs) And Ben's like, I don't really like that. It's pretty corny. So, But Rhett just stayed on it and started playing around his guitar. And he spit out, you be my honeysuckle, I'll be your honeybee. And Ben still wasn't like knocked out by it, but they kind of went with it. Um, and then a few lines into that, they kind of figured things out and realized that um, it could be a hit. And then they figured like oh who should record gosh. it. And they're like, Blake, they're like, <laughs> yeah. if anyone's going to record it, it has to be Blake. Otherwise. So yeah. they ended up writing it directly for Blake. And That's awesome. Hit. So it's just like a magazine. Right. A random governor. Right. Like, how do they find their inspiration? If it's not something like that happened to them in real life, or if it is, and they take like a part of it, how do they find the rest of it? I don't know. Some just are good. I mean, it's not in my notes here, but Toby Keith was challenged to write a song about, or he said, I'll write a song about anything or sing a song about anything. Red and Red Solo, Solo Cup. Cup. I mean, oh, come on now. Such a good one. Yeah. And then all that's... That's going to be stuck in my head. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. Because people bash it, but like the other people loved it. And it was just so authentically Toby Keith. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Thanks, Mike Huckabee. Right. The Peach Pickers. The Peach Pickers. Um, as far as some of the others, I mean, Dallas Davidson, he's written a lot for Luke. Rain is a good thing. I don't want this night to end. That's my kind of night. 
Uh, he wrote Randy Hauser's Running Out of Moon- Moonlight. Oh, okay. He's kind of good friends with him now. Um, and who else we got? Mr. Hayslip. Joe Nichols, Give Me That Girl. I think he wrote that with Rhett as well. That might have been the entire Peach Pickler, Pickers. Um, Jason Aldean, T. Rhett. I mean, and that that's kind of a core group right there. Right. Similar sounding. And like, not to go back to like, okay, so Shane's my guy, right? I love Shane McAnally. Yeah. And he has like all these great songwriters around him too, not just the ones that like go on to be successful artists as well, but uh, he has in, in Smack Songs, Josh Osborne. And like, if you just look, like basically just pick any song that's been on the chart within the last like five to six. 10 years maybe and it has like one of their names on it yeah. I mean anything from I Slot of Casey Musgraves um, Blake Shelton My Eyes The Band Perry Chainsaw um, I mean Kenny Chesney Wild Child Sam Hunt any Sam Hunt song um, Dustin Lynch it's just like it's insane it's like a little just songwriting factory and they just here's a hit here's a hit you yeah. get one, you get one, and it's just insane. To, like, you don't realize how fully talented these people are. Especially him, like, so diverse. Like you mentioned, like, Kenny, and then he'll do Luke. And he's, yes. he wrote Midland's Reba. Drinking Problem. Yeah. Like, it's all over. Right. Like, I can understand if someone, like, they just write for, like, a certain artist or two. Great. But when you have, like, because Sam Hunt and Midland are very different. Casey Musgraves is very different. Like, right. Old Dominion. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. So I feel like I know Thanksgiving's over, but we should have been very thankful for all our like country songwriters. Oh, for sure. So another story. You mentioned Shane and Josh Osborne. They write together a lot. There's two other well-known songwriters, Ross Koperman. Okay. Copperman. Probably Copper. Ah, we'll just go with Double P, one P. Double P. Yeah. It's a long day at work. Brain's fried. And Ashley Gorley. So those four wrote Jake Owen's real life. Um, And the story goes, it was a very snowy day. And Ashley and Shane, they had a writing session, but it got canceled. So then all four are like, we should get together and write a song. They're like, like, we've all written tons of hits. They're like... If we can't put our brains together and write one ourselves, like, yeah, who can? Like, we can do it. Um, so I'm trying to think who tells the story. Um, Copperman's telling it, saying, um, he had this crazy hit or crazy sound, and he didn't think any of them would go for. Um, and Shane's like, nope, that's what we're writing. Um, and it was Jake Owen's real life, and it's basically this funky. Popish, rockish, punkish vibe to it. Yeah. Um, and they cranked it out. They were spinning lyrics back and forth. And then they sent it to Jake and he's like, Absolutely, like right. this is it. And it's just like, oh, like these these four just got together so one after. So they afternoon. just sent it right to Jake. Like they're like, This is the guy. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um That's crazy. Yeah, Jake, I guess, told told him kind of the vibe and direction he was looking for with the new album and yeah that's what it was so that's cool yeah yeah they're all literally like one big family there it's and ross copperman this is an interesting story so he's actually from virginia he got a record deal in the uk with sony records 
So we moved there, and he like had some success as an artist, like releasing music and such. But then he just kind of said, "I just want to do songwriting." Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the funny part is, he actually grew up on rock. Like there's a thing, an article where. <laughs> He, his wife has had to fill him in on what he's missed with 90s country. I mean, he's obviously listened to it back yeah. you know, now, but huh. um, he's written um, Brett Eldridge, Beat of the Music, oh. Drunk on Your Love, Luke's Strip It Down, Billy Currington's Donut. He's got over 12 number ones. Um, but he also wrote John Cougar, John Deere, John 316. Yes, with Josh Osborne. Very good. Um, so it was him, Josh, and Shane. Of course. All three. And I just am a firm believer that Shane writes every song out of Nashville. Recently, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, so nobody like walked in with this like idea of like that's a title or whatever. Right. Um, so one guy started with the phrase John Cougar, and another guy's like they just were spitfire like these Johns and all of a sudden like they had this headline, John Cougar, John Deere, John three sixteen. They're like, that's such a long song for a title. And then they're like, it's way too long, but they're like, no, it no, fits. It's not. Yeah. So again, just the meeting of the minds and That's a cool concept. I really like that's one of my one of my favorite Keith Urban songs. Yeah. I think it's very just like it's so truthful. I mean to a lot of people can relate to that, like mm-hmm. John Mellencamp and yeah. Church. And, and it rolls off the tongue, too. It does. Yeah. yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's maybe a long title, but it's not like, it's hard to say, you know? You can quickly say. Even which one of Luke's, Luke Bryan's song recently has like a super long title? Is what it Makes You Country? No. Yeah. How long is, is hunt, Hunting and Fishing Every Day? Is that? Hunting Fishing. Loving like Every of, Day. One of his recent ones, too. Just, it's or, not that no, hard to say an extra Sunrise, word. Sunburn, Sunset. Like, that's a long. Oh, yeah. You know, that's like a long thing, but it's like. It flows out the tongue. Yeah, you're fine. It's no big. So who else? Um, maybe you got this one on your list, Jimmy Robbins. I don't think I do. All right, so um, a total of like eight number one singles. Um, so I don't know what it stands for. Maybe you do like the ASCAP award that they they had those like before the CMAs last week honors the songwriters. Um. He won uh, Country Song of the Year for It Goes Like This by TR. Um, he wrote We Were Us, Keith Urban, Miranda Lambert, which won musical event, blah, blah, blah. But, like, he's really working with, like, up-and-coming artists. Like, he's writing songs for Abby Anderson and um, Brett Kissel, Brett Young, Kanan Smith, Cassidy Pope, Cadillac 3. And one that stuck out to me, if we have repeat listeners... He wrote a few songs for Andy Brown's upcoming album, Cedar Mine. Oh, really? So, like, the UK. Yeah. So so that's kind of cool. And then um, he's also written some songs for Catherine McGrath. So, like, he has his hands everywhere, basically. Yeah. And I guess, like, obviously a lot of UK people come to Nashville, but, I mean, he's working with, and, like, Dallas Smith, who's from Canada. I mean, Dustin Lynch, Dylan Scott, Eli Young Band. Um, Gloriana, Hunter Hayes, Jake Owen, like, name someone, and he's written a song for them. And, like, for Floor George Line, like, 
the two songs he wrote never were singles. Okay. But they made the album, so I don't know. Do you count it? Do you say? Oh, yeah, you get credit for hitting an album. Yeah. Side note, Side. Catherine McGrath and Kelsey Ballerini, are they like BFFs just from across the pond? Well, because of Morgan. Because Catherine went on tour with Morgan. Oh, okay. Because you saw that on Instagram. Where yeah. Like, this is taken after like a few margaritas or something. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, those three should definitely, like, that'd be a great trio. Like, they should do the thing yeah. Chris Lanny's do. Like, <laughs> yeah. But those three. Yeah, just get together sometimes. Exactly. But yeah, I think, yeah, because he, on his Australian leg of the tour, I think he brought okay. her on. Oh, and that's so then right. they became acquaintances. Acquaintances, yeah. Now they're drinking buddies, so whatever. Who isn't? But yeah, so like, then I was looking, like, okay, so you write a song, it gets picked up, it goes on an album, like, how much are artists actually making or songwriters? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times like you can go like the independent route and just like not sign to a publishing deal and not have to go through that. But the chance of like your song getting picked up, it's slim to none. So a lot of times then you make a deal with a publisher and a lot of times that's like a 50, 50. Okay. So basically what I read is that, um, they split 9.1 cents. Every time a song gets downloaded or manufactured on a CD. So if, for example, there's a thousand copies of a CD with your song on it, Jeez. you get $91. And then I was, because obviously nowadays a lot of it's streaming, it's Spotify, it's mm-hmm. Amazon. And so... That's even lower then. Right. So if this is correct, this is accurate, it says uh, songwriters can expect to make about $4,000 Per one million streams on Spotify, but it's like what half gave, a penny or something. Yeah, if you gave to... away your publishing, if you're with a publisher, you get half that, so two thousand hmm. dollars. And then I was even reading like when you um, when you sign with like a publishing, a lot of times they will like I don't want to say like loan you out a certain amount of money so you can buy like equipment, and then oh. all that's like due back later. And it's just, it's crazy. Like publishers are the ones coming out big in all of this. I sure. Feel. But at the same time, you got to have some sort of organization and process. Right. In and the like, industry. I forget who the publisher was. He's like, I'm super picky about which writers I sign because it's got to be worth my time and my money. And I'm like, holy cow. Like, Oh, I'm sure as, as competitive as it is. And if you, if, I mean, you see some of these songwriters that start their own, I mean, after they do well, yeah, you know, with. A certain publisher, they say, oh, I could do the same thing and like right. develop my own songwriters. And-, and a lot of people like do like songwriters go on to like create their own like publishing companies. Like Shane. Like Shane. Um, there is, oh, oh yeah. There is a few others that um, I forgot what his name was. He signed like Big Loud Shirt. I'm going to get it wrong, but it signed like Flora Georgia Line. Like, they worked. Ashley Gorley. I know he's he has his own company. Um, it was uh, Charlie Wiseman, or excuse me, not Charlie Craig Wiseman. Okay. So, yeah, Big Loud Shirt Publishing Company, which like Chris Lane, Morgan Wall, and FGL, and Craig. He he actually wrote like "Live Like You Were Dying." Oh wow! Yeah, and he won again the ASCAP Songwriter of the Year, two thousand three, two thousand five, two thousand seven. He was named the songwriter of the decade. So, like, he was so accomplished. Then he's like, well, let's try something new and opened up his own publishing. So then you're making bank. If you're the songwriter and you're the publisher. Yeah. 
that's maybe the way it goes. But right, huh? Yeah, but it, it's not a lot. And I mean, no, I don't know if like radio does. I'm sure like the highway counts, right? Like serious. They all do. Yeah. I mean, they all get a certain, you know, sense for every spin in a sense. I wonder how much the artist gets for every. A percentage. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. But I mean, and that's the difference between artists and songwriters is artists are the ones that are going out on the road majority of the year, busting their butt in concerts and tours and all that. Like, um, Funny quote from one of the, a songwriter, Rodney Clausen. Oh, yeah, Nicole's husband. Also married to Nicole. Um, and, you know, this is just like, I'm just convinced, like, it's just a small, like, world country music. He's a friend and former teacher and coach of John Rich. John Rich encouraged him to write. John, when John was in, I think, middle He's school or high school. He's older than John? Yeah, I'm. I'm assuming Rodney must have been just out of high school or early twenties, sure. and I'm sure John's not that much younger. But in Texas, huh. they knew each other and stayed in touch. But um, so he Rodney was writing a bunch of songs, and then he finally moved from Texas to Tennessee, and that was you know a bit of a thing. Like, do you stay in Texas and just do your own thing, right? Or whatever. And uh, people have tried to get him to like kind of branch out and become an artist. And he says he has no interest in becoming a singer. He'd rather spend 200 days a year on a boat than a bus. And I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your daily life is more steady, maybe like as a songwriter, you know, you can maybe raise a family easier, your home, you can, it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily a nine to five job, but they still have I guess schedules, they go and write today or they do this or whatever they, yeah, but you still, I don't know. It's your songs at the same yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, each, to each their own. Um, when I mentioned him and John Richard tight, he also wrote Lost in This Moment. Oh. So they work John well Rich, together. I mean. John Rich knows everyone. John Rich is the man. You know, like there's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I thought it was seven. Seven, but whatever. Yes. Yes. Like, I feel like there's like a seven degrees of John Rich. In John Rich music. is in everything. Like, yeah. Seriously. I wish he could, like, like he wrote a lot of songs for Gretchen Wilson. I just oh, wonder, okay. like, can yeah. you just pen another one, see what she's up to, bring yeah. her back? Wasn't she in jail recently? Was she? I could have sworn. No. Or she got she's like a, a redneck fight. woman. Yeah. Yeah, there was something like that. Yeah, her songs were pretty honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, truthful. Um, you mentioned earlier about how. Some artists or some songwriters, like, not exclusively write for one artist, but it's pretty clear that they have an artist that's, like, their go-to. They have a favorite. So there's this guy. His name's Corey Crowder, if you've heard of the name. He has written Chris Young's hit, I'm Coming Over and Think of You. And he's got some – he's tight with BK and Tyler. They go back um, before Nashville. Like, they knew each other. Um, he's actually part of their Tree Vibes group now. Oh, sure. Um, got a great story about Chris Young, but he's he's writing a lot with like some newer artists too. It's like songs you might know of right now is Raylan's Tailgate. Oh, okay. Chris Young's Hanging On, and then two openers we've seen this year: Mason Ramsey's Famous. 
Tyler Hubbard. Yeah, they co-wrote yep, that. They co-wrote that. And Dylan Schneider's How Does It Sound? I love Dylan Schneider. Right? Yes. So anyways, um, so someone asked, like, how did you meet Chris Young? Because, like, they're clearly tight. He's um, he's actually, I believe he's written his last album. He wrote pretty much every song on Chris Young's album. Um, so for Corey, he has a friend named Josh. Um, and Chris was supposed to have, like, a writing session. Um, so Josh said, like, hey, Chris Young's available to write. Like, tomorrow, do you want to join? It's like, well, duh. Sure. So they worked, they wrote together, they spent time on the demo, and Chris loved it. They hit it off, yada, yada. Chris Young wanted to write again, and it was just really easy. They had just, they bonded. So they wrote a couple more times, and they had drinks and started getting to know each other. And Chris just said, literally, man, I want my records to sound like that. He's like, this is cool. So Chris and him went into the studio, but Chris Young didn't tell the record label. Oh, he be- he believed that Corey was like the right producer, like so much that he was willing to risk huh. like his own money. So they yeah. went in and they cut six songs. And then Chris Young brought the record label in and said, if the label doesn't like it, I'll eat the money. Um, but then they liked it. Sure. And Chris Chris was a huge believer in him. So was, you awesome. get artists just to like believe in you. They'll like go to set. go to bat for you, essentially be like, yeah. you know what? If this isn't what you want, then I don't want what you're selling. And like right. that's awesome. Yeah, there's some real close friendships and bonds that really come from it, which mm-hmm. I wish I was could be a part of sometimes. Like <laughs> start writing. I know. Like, do you ever think about that? Like, how do you even start? I mean, I've, I mean, I've, like, I know notes and I know like your bass clef and treble clef, but to put it all together and know, like, no, I just think it's. I mean, I tried to near like, impossible after the podcast. I'll see if I still have it or if I threw it away. But like, I tried jotting stuff down, but it's hard to figure out how do words sound like without I, like, sound. I feel like I would just. Write something that sounds like something that's already out there. You know, I think the, like the whole like something new, creative, like yeah, yeah. You get like inspiration from other songs, but they all sound different. And I feel like mine would just be like, mm. right. You'd you'd think it would of sound like, like a song, Cruise. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll just come out that way, right? But then, I mean, oftentimes you might have your own. Like, I'm sure there's certain people that have their own melodies and stuff figured out. They just got to find the right song for it, yeah, that sort of thing. But are yeah. you a, a firm believer in, well, we talked about how maybe like women in country aren't being played on the radio, but like women songwriters, do you still feel like, I mean, some people say it's still like a boys club in Nashville when it comes to that, which maybe it's it might be getting better. I think, but at the same time, I think it's more common to write for your own gender. Right. In that sense. So right now where there's a, a ton of, you know, very good male vocalists, I mean, look at the CMA Awards, like nominees for male vocalists are like, Kane Brown's not even a nominee. Right. Yeah. There's too many. Well, okay. Cause I was reading something and it was talking about like women songwriters and like Miranda Lambert's a big one. She writes a lot of her own songs. And so when... Her and Blake got divorced. They both like came out with albums like the next year. Mm-hmm. And Blake's is called like If I'm Honest. And he's like, This is my most personal album to date. And he 
co-wrote two of the 11 songs. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. And then Miranda put out, um, it was like oh, a 20 song or like 24 song album. She wrote 20 of them. And I, I forget the numbers now, but Blake had like whatever songs he released went to number one. And I don't think Miranda's cracked the top five. So people are like, are women just like, cause I don't know, maybe it's not true, but you listen to like women, they tend to be more like, I don't want to say like heartbreak, but like lyrically driven, like they're more, I don't want to say personal, but there's, there's a difference. I feel like if you listen to like women and, and men in country. And so I don't know if it's just, we don't want to listen to, or did Miranda just not put out a good album? Maybe. I mean, it gets to a bigger issue for a different topic. I mean, men yeah. are different from women. They have different. What? Yeah, they no have, kidding. They have different interests and ways they go about things. So yeah, I mean that they. Well, I'd buy that that they have different, like styles of writing, styles either. and things that inspire them to write, maybe or different ways of doing it. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I just thought that was like a really interesting fact, especially like I don't know Blake just saying this is my most personal album, and he only wrote two. Right. But. I mean, maybe he just he's identified. Busy guy. Yeah, I mean, maybe he, he heard the songs and he's like, "That's how I feel right now. That's what's going on in my life." Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned Miranda, one of the songwriters that she exclusively writes with, pretty much is a gal named Natalie Hemby. Hey, look who I have up on your list too. Yes, I mean, she's on. I was gonna say she does a lot of like songwriting for women. Yeah, on basically almost every Miranda song, basically every album. Yeah, um, Casey Musgraves. Some little big town. Nelly Furtado. A. Yeah. Um, so funny story about little big towns. Tornado. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she said it was her last co-write of 2011, and she was writing it with a girl named Delta Maid, who's actually from Liverpool. It was her. Fir- it was mm. Delta Maid's first trip to Nashville. Um, Sounds like a British name, right? Delta Maid. I gotta work on it. Bother. I'll just no. stop. Yeah. Um, and it was her last co-writing time before she was flying out. Whatever. There's a terrible thunderstorm and like the sirens are going off. And so Delta asked Natalie, like, "Oh, do you guys get tornadoes here often?" And she's like, "Yeah." And she suggested, like, "Oh, let's write a song about a tornado." Tornado. So <laughs> they wrote it together. Then a month later, Natalie played the song for Karen Fairchild, and. Karen asked if she could hold the song. So they ended up cutting the song for the record. Um, and like the record was actually named Tornado. And uh, I don't know if you get, I'm guessing you don't get any style points, but you might. I don't know, right? I'd be curious. Because like some, some like records aren't named after a, right. a song. Yeah. So I always wondered how that worked too. True. So then basically almost a year to the day of when they wrote that during a tornado or thunderstorm, like, Natalie was texting Delta Maid saying, like, oh, it's number two. Like, one of us going to go to number one. And then, boom, like, it went to number, number one. one. And, yeah. Wow. It's just like, again, yeah, tornado, storm. Inspiration. You can literally write anything about anything. Yeah. Man, that's a talent. Maybe, like, something you're born with. Yeah. I think God just, like, put something in your head and says, oh, write a song like this. Write something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but I was, I got into like a loophole of like watching songwriters sing their own songs, like Nicole Gale- Galeon. 
Galen. Galen. Her version of All the Pretty Girls is almost better than like Kenny Chesney's. Really? And it's just, it's so cool to like hear how an artist or a songwriter intended for the song. Not that it's like completely different, but like there's little like riffs here and there where she goes up instead of goes down. And then it just kind of gets like, oh, let's listen to her sing this song that she wrote. And oh, this artist wrote this song. Like, I don't know. If you're ever bored, just go to I'm sure for like her perspective, the song is different than his. Right. Well, because, yeah, there's some words changed and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. And I just think it's the coolest thing to like, there is the thing um, when you did the throwback of. There goes my life with mm-hmm. Kenny Chesney, and there's like a like a writer's circle or whatever. They were like in front of a like a concert setting almost, and they all just had their acoustic guitars, and it was like Kenny and a bunch of other songwriters. And the guy who wrote that him and Kenny like went back and forth singing the song, and again, it's like this guy has one of the best voices I've ever heard. Why isn't he? At, yeah, yeah, like yeah, I don't know. It's just it's crazy, but yeah, I. And some people, I mean, part of it too is some people are maybe, I hate to say this, but marketability plays True. a factor into it. True. The want to do it maybe. Right. Well, the same thing like with Nicole, she just had like her Opry debut where yeah. she's saying, and she has like, I don't like original songs, but like her yeah. own stuff. Yeah. I mean, she was a contestant on The Voice. Yeah. That's where she met. Raylin. Raylin and Miranda. Miranda, oh. I think was like a mentor or something. She was... I think her and Blake were married at the yeah. time too. Yeah. Yeah. So there was some, they like, That's the thing, we're like, gal pal. Yeah. You get on the show. You don't have to win it. You no. got Blake in your back pocket. Right. Yeah. If you're a country singer and you go on a show like that, or especially The Voice, and like Blake spins and you want to be a country singer. Why would you never, like, why would you not choose him? I just don't get it. I would be like, save your save your best speeches, Adam, for someone else. Right. Like, <laughs> it's not it going to happen. Yeah. It ain't happening. Because I know even if I don't win, I I have Blake's phone number. I mean, you, you still might have his phone number. Maybe. But yeah, better to play it safe. Yeah. Who else? A uh, few other names to mention. Ashley Gorley says 37 number ones. That's it? That's it. Huh. Um. Carrie Underwood, he's written a ton for her. Um, All American Girl, Don't Forget to Remember Me, Heartbeat. Um, that's crazy because, like, that's her whole career. Like, you just mentioned a song that was, like, on her first album. Yeah. It's, like, her latest. So that's kind of cool. Right. Um, who else we got here? He's one. Luke Laird. He has 20. Yeah. Luke, number one hits. Yeah. Uh, fun little fact about him. His first gig, so he went to college for recording industry management. Wow. So wants to do what he's been doing. I didn't know that was a choice. I didn't know either. Damn. I should go back. No kidding. Um, <laughs> so his first gig was actually an assistant tour manager for Brooks and Gun. Brooks and Dunn. I like so Brooks and Gun better. Brooks and Gun. <laughs> yeah. Who's that weird Al Yankovic? Yeah. <laughs> I found his next cover, okay? <laughs> Brooks and Gunn, My Mary, or I don't know. I'll just stop. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. But you mentioned Carrie and yeah. how she has a ton of songs and a ton of hits, but... Just a few. Just I a think. few. And one of the biggest songwriters in Nashville, 
is Hillary Lindsay. Oh, I thought you were going to say Andy Garcia, but never mind. No. She has 20-plus number ones. She's actually part of a trio. So we have the Peach Pickers. Oh, boy. Keep it straight here, folks. Which is, I already forgot, Ben Hayslip. Rhett. And Rhett. Copper. Yes. So we got those three. Hillary is part of the, quote, Love Junkies with Liz Rose and Lori McKenna. Lori. Lori. Um, Lori wrote Humble and Kind. Yeah. That's all you need to know about her credits. And Girl Crush. Uh, not my favorite, but all right. We'll give her credit. And That's- Carrie Underwood's Cry Pretty. Yeah, she writes smashes. Yeah. She's just a giant in the industry. And she's different where she doesn't live in Nashville. She lives in Massachusetts. 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 So she commutes every so often, I'm guessing, to Nashville, but she gets her own inspiration living in Massachusetts, and I'm sure that's different than people growing up in Georgia, Alabama. Yeah. That, so. Yeah, I always wondered, like, even, like, the California guys, like, you have, like, Brett Young or, or Devin Dawson, like their music is still country, but it's a little different. Speech country. It's right. Yeah. But I mean, Kenny Chesney and Chris Lane are North Carolina. They're like coastal guys. It's coastal right? country. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have Granger Smith, Smack Dab in Texas country. and That's just yee yee country. That's yee yee nation. I'm yeah. Sorry. Go on with. No, the so. Love, what are they um, called? The Love Junkies. The Love Junkies. So it's Hillary Lindsay. Lori McKenna and Liz Rose. Um, Wait, is Hillary Lindsay? Yes. Wait, what's your question? Oh, uh, that's not Hillary's mom from Lady Antebellum. No. Hillary's mom is the one that's saying with Reba. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, I'm going to look up her name because it's driving me nuts. Okay. So Hillary Lindsay, she went to Belmont. And her roommate had an internship at a record label, and she secretly grabbed one of Hillary's demos, went in and like played it, and they wanted to sign her right away. Um, so she basically became like singer songwriter. Um, she wrote Martina's Blessed, and this one's for the girls. Oh, come on! That was like her right out of the shoot. But then this is where it gets her and Carrie. I mean, she deserves as big of a star as Carrie is. Like this is where I'm saying like. Hillary Lindsay is a superstar songwriter. So she wrote Jesus Take the, the Wheel. The puppet master behind the puppet. Yeah. I want to call Carrie a puppet, but if you want to, go for it. So she wrote Jesus Take the Wheel, So Small, Smoke Break, all kinds of these. She's written 11 number one songs for Carrie Underwood. Holy cow. 30 total songs for Carrie that appeared on albums. That's crazy. 11 number ones just for one artist. And that's like, wouldn't you think like, okay, people really resonate with the songs I write. Yeah. I could make it as an artist. Like, but maybe not. Do you, is she writing particularly for Carrie? Does she know Carrie's style? Like what her fans like? And maybe her like sense of music maybe. is different. But I'm guessing if you're Carrie and you come up with Jesus Take the Wheel and a couple others, I mean, she was basically a star right away. Right. If I'm Carrie, I'm like, I'm working with Hillary. Like, I want her songs. I got her. She's mine. But the thing with Hillary is what makes her, and like, I'd even argue she's probably, I would make the argument that she's the best songwriter in Nashville um, or just like biggest songwriting star. Um, 
So you have Carrie, but then she writes Sarah Evans, backseat of a Greyhound bus. Oh, come on. Then we flip and we go, Miley Cyrus says, when I look at you. Okay. Oh, I love that song. What? Right. And then we go to Keith Urban's Blue Ain't Your Color, Florida Georgia Line, God, Your Mama and Me. Holy Kelsey, buckets. Legends, Gary Allen's Every Storm Runs Out of Rain, Carly Pierce's Hide the Wine, and there's two more, Taylor Swift, Fearless. That was like my favorite Taylor Swift right? song. Great. And then this is where it gets like, whoa, like, oh. like when I read this next one, you're like, okay, she clearly is recognized by more than just country. She co-wrote Lady Gaga's A Million Reasons. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So how does that happen? And she, well, it's the movie A Star Is Born with Lady Gaga. They had a dozen songwriters working together on that. Sure, Hillary was one of them. Yeah, I think so was like Julia Michaels. Yeah, it's clearly they have a good. They understand with country music that it's what country music writes about. Exactly, emotional, powerful, relatable. Yeah, you know what you're gonna get. But yeah. yet not. Well, I even saw like there's so many because the show Nashville had like all original music. Yeah. And that had to come from somewhere. And that always did really well in the charts too, or like on mm-hmm. iTunes and stuff. And I think that was there were a lot more not well known songwriters that were writing for yeah. that. Or they would or they would write and then I think like, then the they, T V show would go to the publishers right. and grab it that way. But it's crazy. Yeah. So if I had to say I would say Hillary Lindsay's probably. Yeah. It's hard to say who's one and two and three and all that. Oh but. no, it's impossible. But when you have that many number one songs, yeah, just with one artist, just with one artist, wild, yeah, wild. crazy, right? That's why I just wish one of my friends was a good singer. I'd write for him or her, <laughs> right? Oh, and I and I was looking into like when there's like a really good song, like artists can put like a hold on it. Did you ever hearing like? It's like an unofficial, official hold. Right. But then it creates problems because it's like, well, how long is the hold good for? Yeah. Is it more based like on seniority? Like if Kenny Chesney wants a song, but I don't know, Morgan Evans has interest in it. Yeah. Well, you know, with Kenny, there's a better chance of it going number one. You know, does that all factor into it? Or but then and maybe, why does it maybe take Kenny so never records it. Yeah. Why does it take so long to decide? Like. Maybe I'm not in the well, room, but like, do you have a gut feeling? Like, and also, how many songs you put on an album? Some have ten, some have twenty-four. I mean, I'm gonna get this number wrong, but when Kelsey's um, album came out last fall, she basically said that she wrote pretty much a song a day for a year or two. That's crazy. Can you imagine? Like, you have five hundred of your own song, five six hundred of yeah. your own songs, and you got to pick. To have 12, 13 on that. And then you have other songwriters. Yeah. So I get where it's very hard for artists to True. find I it. mean, sure, some are probably better than others. And yeah. maybe you think, and I don't know, like maybe some artists think more along the lines like marketability. Like, I don't know. I always talk about how like um, like Eric Church and even like Kit Moore, they just, they put out songs that are 100% them. Maybe they don't get to number one on the charts, but it's something that like authentic and they want to stay true to themselves or do other artists maybe look at it? Like, I really like that song. Oh, and it could be like a number one hit. Yeah. I just, I think, you know, each artist is different in the way they maybe go about 
or I forget what song it was, but it was, I think, one of my trivia questions. One of the last ones was like a song was presented to Jason Aldean and he just wasn't feeling it. Like that wasn't his mood that day or yeah. for that album. And then he gives it up and someone else gets it. So right. it's like, which another story of that is this could have been a trivia question, but we won't. Blake Shelton's hit Sangria yes. was initially offered to Sarah Evans. Oh, that could have been better. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Josh Osborne was the writer on that. Um, they had the title, and Josh originally thought it was a girl's song because, I mean, let's be honest here, it's not too many guys going out to a bar or restaurant or to be ordering some sangria. sangria. <laughs> um, See, so him and Shane wrote it. Um, so they were writing it, and then they actually got together with Sarah. They wrote it for Sarah, and they got together, and it just wasn't working. It wasn't fitting. That's crazy. But they thought they had something. So um, one day, Josh was writing with Trevor Rosen and another guy, J.T. Harding, mm. and they started thinking about how would a guy's version of that sound, and then they basically spun it to the way it is. Yeah. And then it the worked. rest is history. Yeah, it was a lot of trial and error, I mm-hmm. feel. And I yeah. was like, does it hurt a songwriter when an artist like Jason Aldean says, mm, no, not feeling it? Like, you got to have, like, thick skin in the industry. Yeah, because I think if you're, depending on how well-known and, like, prominent the singer is, like, for Carrie Underwood, you're, you're just not going to write a song and give it to her. You're going to want to make sure it's one of your best. Yeah. You're going to want to make sure, like, not every song I write goes to her in a sense. Right. And, and like not to go like beat a dead horse, but like the songs on the album that don't get released to radio. Yeah. It makes me sad. Like someone put in a lot of work and it was obviously good enough to like make it. We have to feel it like the publishing companies and like the artists, they have to know going in, like this is something we can put on the radio. Right. Like that's why, that's why I'm a huge fan of still listening to albums. I know some people just right. prefer like, Oh, what songs on radio or streaming? Yeah, and that's what I love about like the new streaming. I feel like it's so. I don't know. You can you find so many gems. Sure, and it gives maybe other artists the opportunity to hear a song and be like, "Okay, that wasn't you know so and so didn't release it, but who wrote that?" Like, right. Yeah, you don't have to release like a whole album either. You can release an EP of like five, six songs and yeah. get a feeler out there. So yeah, as maybe. Streaming isn't always most profitable. I think maybe in the long run, it is. But yeah. We didn't really talk much about one of my favorite songwriters, Mr. Vassar. Oh, yeah. He wrote, well, basically, he's probably my favorite because, not my favorite, but he wrote a lot of Jody Messina songs. And I was a Jody fan. Still am. But she was like my childhood growing up. Yeah. Phil. Phil's so... Phil's my favorite. He is. <laughs> he really is. He wrote is. like some Colin Ray songs, Tim McGraw. Like, I don't know. We, maybe we have a weird obsession with him. <laughs> Are we Phil Vassar groupies? Yeah, I am for sure. Yeah. The man can rock. Yeah. But no, yeah, he's written a ton. He's obviously been a household name. He's done well yeah. for himself. And then he did like go out on his own. And then at his shows, he covers. The songs he wrote, which is fun, and yeah, I just felt like we had to give a shout out. To Phil. We had to give a shout out to Phil. Um, who else we got here? I only have one other one. Um, 
you might have heard of her. Her name's Emily Weisben. You probably see her. Is she married to Craig? Um, sure. I have no idea. Well, I don't know. Uh, she's a younger. Maybe not. Girl. If you follow like Daniel Bradbury and some like the younger um, female singers in country music, you'll see her tagged in posts and stuff. They're like all a tight group. Um, so she's written a lot for like more of the younger, like this next group coming up. So she wrote like Daniel Bradbury's Sway. I love that song. Um, Gateway Love, Thomas Rhett. Oh, yeah. Super catchy. Uh, Cassidy Pope's Take You Home. She wrote that one. Uh, one that'll be a bit of a wrench here is she wrote Hillary Scott's Thy Will. With Hillary. Right. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just, okay. Um, I like that song. So you got to give credit where credit's due. Okay. And because it's a very personal song to Hillary, so that's why I felt like, okay, sorry, just killing the mood. I just, and but she also does like other stuff other than country too. So Camila Cabello's Consequences, uh-huh. she's a co writer on that too. So wow. she's someone like, as she's obviously building this connection with younger, up and coming artists, like, yeah, she could be the next Hillary Lindsay in a sense. So wow. she's another one with Nicole, I would say too. Yeah, Nicole, I think. Yeah. She's up there. She's getting her, you know, feet under her with, who does she have? Automatic with Miranda, obviously Tequila. We Were Us. We Were Us. Um, do you know that one? So she wrote with John Knight and Jimmy Robbins, um, and they had actually written with Tom, Thomas Rhett the night before. Um, so they, they had an idea with Thomas, but they, it just didn't work out with Thomas. That was We Were Us. And it makes, yeah, Yeah. I can't imagine, I mean, I can imagine like the duet Thomas Rhett doing a song, but I can't imagine that being like a solo song. No, uh uh-uh. Right? It'd be so flat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, no. I mean, he he could definitely, I mean, pick your, like, if he would duet with like Kelsey on that song, that'd be perfect. Yeah. But still like, I don't know, it's a Keith song. Yeah, for sure. Same thing like, I don't know, maybe it's because you only hear it one way, but. I don't know. You, you wouldn't hear Carrie on that song, but you wouldn't hear Miranda sing The Fighter with Keith. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure it, it would work just fine. I think Carrie can sing anything. True that. Who else you got? Anyone? We kind of mentioned the Old Dominion guys. Yeah, they're powerhouses, man. They. And that's another one, too. You wonder why people are like super happy for them when they win like CMA Group oh, of yeah. the Year. It's because. They've put in the groundwork. They've written so many songs for so many other artists that, like, it's their time. Yeah. Like, they've written songs for the band Perry, for Little Big Town, that it's kind of, I don't want to say ironic, but, like, here they are in the same category as the people they've written for, and now they're winning. I need to give a shout-out to Trevor Rosen. Yeah. He wrote Sam Hunt's Bottle It Up, <laughs> which I just... I just hit repeat and Dude, just play it. I can remember the, the day you heard it. You were just like, oh. all right, so we were driving. It was this year, I think, wasn't it? It might have been. Right last year. I was driving. And Aaron was like, oh, I'm just taking a little nap. That's right. I was out. You were out. And so I had like my playlist on. <laughs> oh, and I'm gosh. just bumping along. And all of a sudden, bo- Bottle It Up comes on. And <laughs> Aaron just like pops up in his seat. And then I see him like pick out his phone. What is this song? Like, it's Sam Hunt, bottle it up. I mean, and it was on the acoustic. It was, I mean, it wasn't anything new. Yeah. But yeah. 
Yeah, I became like when Sam Hunt came out, I can still remember like hearing um, Leave the Night On was his first song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is so good. And then I like went out, got his album. And then I realized there was the acoustic before that. Acoustic's better. Acoustic In is so much better. Yeah. But I still like wore out Mon- Monticello, Montevello. Montevello. Monticello is word. Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. yeah, I. And that's what's cool too because he wrote. Or like co-wrote every single song. Yeah. So yeah. Where is he now? Sam Hunt? Where is he? Come back. Probably counting his millions. Well, that's it. I mean, he could seriously <laughs> live the rest of his life just like whatever. Yeah. And he wrote like Come Over by Kenny Chesney and I forget which one he sang or Billy Carrington. He used to cover it at his shows. Yeah. Um, drawing a blank here. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Okay, so Trevor Rosen wrote Bottle It Up with him? Yes. So good. And Trevor also wrote, uh, what else we got here? We've mentioned a few. He wrote Dirk's Say You Do, Chris Young's Neon, Better Dig 2 by the Mm. band Perry. And he also wrote Kelsey Ballerini's I Hate Love Songs. Really? So you can definitely hit them all. Yeah. Yeah. That's spice of life. Right. Wow. Yeah, I... I thank him for bottle it up. All right. And then Matthew Ramsey, he's got a I bunch too. I love him. He wrote Dirk's Say You Do Too with Trevor. He wrote Sam Hunt's Make You Miss Me. Jam. Yes. And then Kenny Chesney's Save It For A Rainy Day. What do the other guys in Old Dominion do? <laughs> There's one other, Brad yeah. Tercy. He wrote Luke Bryan's Light It Up. Oh, no, no kidding. Like these guys are... Good yeah. as hell. Right. Exactly. And that's what's cool. Like, they don't just sing into a microphone. Which I would be curious to know what their process is for putting together an album. Like, yeah. I mean, they're writing songs for other artists. Like, yeah. which ones do they... Like, they're definitely in the... Like, they can keep whatever they want. Sure. For themselves. Yeah. Or which ones? They want their hands on all of it. Or, or they just like, say, oh, this is... I mean... I'm sure they're not writing a song being like, well, could this be a Kelsey song or an Us song? Right. Like, there's probably a clear difference. But. Maybe they like start it and then like halfway through it's like, oh, this would be really good for this person. And maybe like by the end they're like, no, it's actually better for this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think I told you this too. Like Eric Church and like promoting his album is doing like short videos on Instagram about like the origins. And his one, Hanging Around, was inspired by a billboard he saw on his way to the studio to record. And he's like, he walked in, he like just produced, like, no, give me an hour, I got something in my head. And he went, like, I don't know, he sat down to the basement with his guitar and he just, he wrote the song in an hour. So the billboard said hanging around? Something like that, like, what are you, are you doing here? Are you, or are you just hanging around? Like, what are you doing in Nashville? Huh. I mean, how do you do that? You write like a whole song and, and it's just. Do you ever listen to or uh, watch on uh, Ty Kelly and Chuck? They do like the. Was it ten minute tune? It's like they have an artist or songwriter come in and um, they give them like a funny topic, like current events. So like I don't know, it could be like Turkey, like write a country song about oh, Turkey. Oh yeah, Lokash did something. So like they're, that. I mean, that's a fun exercise, but I mean, yeah, clearly people do it for yeah real life stuff too. And then like last thing at least that I want to say is like we mentioned how like what songs does Tim McGraw write? You know, I. I would have to look probably if any if I had to guess maybe some early stuff. Right. And then is that like so he's still like a giant in the industry. But do some of these artists like 
I don't want to say like old dominion, but like on that level, do they look at him and be like, not like, I, you know what I mean? Like he's not the real wow, deal. Chad, you're or not like, that good. Well, to a point like, or like question, like, why doesn't he write? Could he write? Like what? I don't know. I feel like Maybe. I would just like question and be like, at least I'm authentic. At least what I'm doing is purely yeah. for me, but. On the contrary, maybe he has his team of writers that are with him on the road and know him really well, and they're basically him, potentially. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. I don't know. Nice spin, but I don't I don't buy it. All right. Anything else? I got nothing. All right. That was, that was a lot, but... That was a lot, and we could do, do more, but we won't. Yeah. All right. Let's run through these here. Throwback jam this week. Oh, I thought we were starting with trivia, but... My trivia is not that good. All right, let's do trivia then. Okay, good. Get the bad out of the way if it's not that good. Okay, <laughs> I don't even have like multiple choice options for you, but it's kind of along the lines of songwriters. I'm going to ask you hard questions, Aaron, but I'm going to give you no help. Right. So maybe you'll get this one. <laughs> Who wrote Dirt Road? Dirt Road Anthem. Jason Aldean's. Like, that was controversial at the time because it was so different. Was it Florida Georgia Line? No. Dirt Road Anthem? Chase Rice? Mm-mm. Am I close? You'll never guess. Okay, then tell me. <laughs> Brantley Gilbert. Oh, okay. No, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. But if you, like, think about it, it kind of makes sense. Oh, he could definitely cover that. Right, and he does at his shows. I could definitely see him doing, like, the rappy part. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I didn't feel like making a this one's multiple choice. Hey. Um, so Reba sang all three of these songs, but which one is not an original Reba song? Fancy. The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. I'm a Survivor. Which one is not? No, which one is? Two of them are not. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Which one is original? Reba? Two of them are not originals. Which one is the? Can you read the list again? Yes. Uh, fancy. No. The night the lights went out in Georgia. I'm a survivor. It's either fancy or I'm a survivor. I'm gonna guess fancy. Uh uh-uh. uh. Who covered fancy or who did fancy originally? Bobby Gentry, like from the '60s. So I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor is originally, Original. but yeah. Uh, I think the nights went out. The night the lights went out in Georgia was covered by or Vicky Lawrence. Okay, again like sixties, like way, way, yeah. yeah. I mean, but if you think about like fancy is like synonymous with Reba. Oh, for sure. It'll be. Can you imagine like thirty, forty years from now, someone's gonna look back on a Keith Urban, Tim McGraw album. They're gonna be like. They didn't release that, but I like that. Yeah. I mean, seriously. That's exactly the same. That's cool. Yeah. So there's still hope the ones that we really like on albums, maybe they'll become a hit someday. Yes. Maybe. I have a list. Um, Okay. So Thomas Rhett, songwriter as well. Um, He wrote this Michael Ray song, Don't Think Too Hard. Um, definitely not thinking at all. Hardly. <laughs> uh, that's a problem. Maybe you should think a little less. Uh-huh. Oh, he wrote that one. Yeah. Really? He had that. Can you imagine him covering it? Yeah. Hmm. I could. 
I could hear it. I feel like it would sound different, though. Obviously. To me, that that one is that is such a Michael Ray song to me. Yeah, but I could like I can see how Thomas wrote it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think Michael Ray gave him a shout at all anytime he sang that. Right. We saw him twice this summer. Rude. Rude. Eh, he's collecting royalties from it. It's fine. True. All right. And lastly, staying along lines along the lines of songwriter, Josh Turner's first hit, Your Man. You know this one. No, well, I should. It came across, but now I can't remember. Yeah. Mm, do I get multiple choice? No. You give me one trivia question that has multiple choice, <laughs> and you can't give me any others. You can't just throw some names um, down. Killing me, Smalls. I know. Well, I have no idea. It was Chris Stapleton. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. My trivia was crappy. No, it's good. It. I just would have liked a shot next you time. You know what? You didn't give me some multiple choice like 10 weeks ago, so whatever. Sorry. That was our second podcast. We don't forget. That's all you got for trivia? Hit me. Yep. All right. Mine is CMA Entertainer of the Year themed. Ooh. But what I mean by that is Keith Urban themed. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep it easy-ish. Keith was the guitarist for which legendary 90s artist slash group? Either Brooks and Dunn, Alan Jackson, or the Dixie Chicks. What? Yeah. Mm, Brooks and Dunn. Technically, yes. Okay. But when you're like, hmm, wow, he was actually the guitarist. For all three at some point. No joke. 100%. What a trick question. Such a you trick question. You son of a gun. He actually appears, a little homework for y'all if you're listening, go check out Alan Jackson's Mercury Blues music video. Throughout there, there's like a few... How did you find this one? I called Alan myself. Yeah. Got him on speed dial. I'm like, was Keith ever in like a music video? <laughs> or like, it's like, yeah, Mercury Blues. Well, I thought you called Keith, so okay. Uh, Good to know uh, your connections. Alan saw I threw a Chatty Hoochie hold on yeah. this summer. <laughs> he's digging it. So yeah, there's a few. It's he's not on screen for a lot. You, you you honestly can't even see his face, but you can see that he's playing guitar in the back. You can clearly see he's got the his long hair. hair. Yeah, so he's he's in there. But yeah, he uh, played guitar for Brooks and Dunn, Alan Jackson, and even the Dixie Chicks before he went on his own. Wow, that's crazy. Like. You think of like backup singers, like obviously Carly was a backup for Lucy. Yeah. But like musicians. Yeah. What? Mind blown. Two Jeez, more. It's no wonder he cried when he won Entertainer of the Year. Right. It's a long road. Two more here. Keith Urban's first number one hit. I'll give you four options because I'm a nice guy and give multiple choices. Appreciate it. However, they are all like back to back hits in the same time period. So good luck. Try me. Is it your everything? But for the grace of God, where the blacktop ends, or raining on Sunday. Where the blacktop ends. Nope. But for the grace of God. Oh, that was, was my second one. guess. So these were in actually in order. So your everything went to number four. I don't know if I can even hear that one. I want to be your everything. Ooh. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> no, you definitely know how it sounds. <laughs> actually, not really, but. Okay, we'll play it afterwards. Yeah. So yeah, your everything was four. But for the grace of God, it was one, and then Blacktop ends and Raining on Sunday are both 
number three. Oh, so, interesting. Fun little fact. Um, also fun little fact, but for the grace of God, that number one song was written by Keith Urban, as well as these two ladies named Charlotte Coffey and Jane Wade Weedlin. Do you know who they are? I didn't either. And I probably will never remember them again, but they were members of the 1980s female group, the Go-Go's. No joke. No, serious. Huh. Yeah. What in the world? What in the world I exactly? Can't. How people, yeah. Yeah. No idea. And that uh, was it? They didn't write any other songs for Keith after that? No. They just said, we got our one, Rob. Yeah. We got you on Boom. the track, buddy. You yeah. get the rest. Fly. Yeah. Go, the- little birdie. Uh, last one. This is a tough one. It's just got to be a guess, but which Keith Urban song was on his third album called Golden Road? That was the name of the album, his third album. The song charted 60th with unsolicited airplay in 2004. So he didn't release as a single. Some stations picked it up, but it was an official single. However, that song then became his eighth number one song in 2008 after being featured on his Greatest Hits album Oy. as a re-release. Four options. Thank you. You Look Good in My Shirt, Sweet Thing, Kiss a Girl, Stupid Boy. Stupid Boy. Gotcha. Nope. I knew you'd go for that one. Wow. <laughs> Who wrote Stupid Boy? Um. Yeah, that's someone in here. I'll look it up here. I feel like it was... Oh, oh, Cassidy Pope saying it. That's probably what I think it of. What were my other options? Could you read them again? You look Sweet good. thing. Nope. It is actually, you look good in my shirt. Really? Yeah. So 2008? That's kind of, that song's 10 years old? Yeah. What? Um, stupid Boy. Here, it is written by Dave Berg, Deanna Bryant, and the name you might recognize is Sarah Buxton. Oh, yeah. Um, she's written a few others for Keith Urban. Uh, da, da, da. Let's see here. Oh, it doesn't list on her Wikipedia, but I want to say... Uh, da, 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 da. Put You in a Song. That one, good too. One. Um, she's written for um, a few others. She's written for Carly, Kelly Clarkson. Um, she wrote For Her by Chris Lane. No. Oh. Sunday's Florida Georgia Line. Sundays. Um, Sundays. I thought I thought you said Sunday, but I was like, oh, Sundays. Got it. D a z e. That's a big switch from like Sundays to Stupid Boy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Versatile. All right. Is that all you got for me? That's all the trivia. That's good. I'll think about a artist-centered trivia for yeah. next time. Hmm. All right. We do new artist or old school first. Either. Okay. My new artist is a duo called 641. Okay, good. Oh, no, It's not mine. Okay. No. Um, made up of friends, uh, Brooks Hoffman and Austin Gee, or G, spelled G. Anyways. Um, G, I don't know. Bummer. So 641 is named after U.S. Highway 641, which cuts through the town where they met, I believe. Alabama, Arkansas, somewhere in the Yeah, so I just ran across them on Spotify. Uh, Two singles they released this year. Uh, My favorite, Playing Crazy, which is my jam at the moment. 
and then maybe I might. So uh, go check them out. They're up and coming, and they got a good sound to them. So oh. that's my Mine's plug. also do a duo. Ew. So that's why I panicked a little bit. I'm like, what are <laughs> yeah, the odds? Yeah, we never coordinate this before. No, we don't, which is fine. It's authentic. It's real. Uh, Seaforth. Ah. A duo from Australia. They sound like Dan and Shay's doppelgangers, basically. They sound, I mean. No, but okay, gotcha. Is doppelgangers with voice or is it just how you look? It's how you look, but you. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Go on. It's Past timeless bedtime. Uh, they anyhow, <laughs> they recently released two songs. The first one's called "Talk to Me," and the other one's "Love That." Um, check it out on Spotify. I'm sure it's on all the other ones too. But they just have a nice, sim- similar sound to Dan and Shay to them. Um, and they are actually joining Mitchell Tenpenny this winter on his tour oh. for a few stops. So um, check that out. I think Mitchell's having. Two other openers at various shows, so they might only be opening for a weekend or two, but That's check them out. Seaforth, they are a duo from Australia, from Sydney, Australia. Seaforth, like S-E-A? S-E-A, fourth, like heading forth into the sea. All, All right. right, you won't forget so, that one. yeah, throwback. Mine is from, mine's 1989. No, not the great Taylor Swift album, 1989, but the year that Shenandoah released Two Dozen Roses. If I had two dozen roses, it's my jam. Mm, yes. Wow. It reached number one. I love that song. Yeah. Couldn't <laughs> tell. Uh, it was their third number one at the time. It was written by Mac McElhaney. McElhaney. I can't really talk. You got it. Um. Their lead singer, Marty Rabin, said um, the song, it leaped out of the gate. It really did. Um, At that time in our career, we literally were hotter than a firecracker, but it wasn't until they started playing Two Dozen Roses that um, we really realized how much the song resonated with their fans all over the country. Um, And, yeah, it just was the big hit that really catapulted them into more mainstream and, I mean, they have had a ton of hits. They just have great music. and They do. They do. I love. And like just writing. They write good songs. Yeah. Like we're recording this on Wednesday. Tomorrow's Thursday. I always play like a throwback singer or group. And yeah. Tomorrow's going to be Shenandoah. Ooh. Cannot go wrong. No. Oh, I'm thinking what's their song that I... <sighs> Cumberland Road? No. Um, next to you, next to me. I dun, love it. Dun, 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 dun. Next to you, next to me. Yeah. Classic. Another classic. We're going to speed. You said that was 89, right? Yes. Jump five years ahead. Birth year. One Yours. of the better years that we've had. 1994. April 1994. Mr. Neil McCoy released. Wink. Yes. Hey. hey. Um, spent four weeks at number one. That was a 94 song? 94. Holy crap. I mean, it says Slam Bam in it. It's a pretty cool song. True. It was the most performed country song of the year. That is definitely a 90s country. I just, I almost thought that that was like an early 2000s. No. no it's a, wow. And it's also featured in uh, Walker Hayes' 90s True. country. Give me that wink. 
I'm going to give it right back. Take it to the church. I did church too much singing this podcast. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I guess we should both just stick to songwriting, even though we don't do that. <laughs> we'll just talk about it instead. So, recording this on Wednesday. Tomorrow, you're going to go see Kip Moore and Jillian Jacqueline, the acoustic show. Charlie right? Warsham. Charlie Warsham. Yeah. So, how pumped are you? I'm pumped, pumped. Like, I'm so ready for this. I'm really curious to see how a acoustic yeah. concert from him. Because I've been to like a regular Kit Moore show where it's just like guns blazing. Like Not he, Cheese Curd Miller Park? No. Gotcha. Cheese Curd State Fair. Fair. Right? Hello. Um, so I think it's be really cool. I hope my my hope is that like it's very like talking to the audience. Yeah. We get chairs, which is exciting. <sighs> Yes. yes. We have assigned seats. Oh, this my type of venue. I <laughs> oh, have no idea. Oh, so no idea. I'm looking forward to that. And like Jillian Jacqueline, I've probably been listening to her just not just like to prepare, but because her she's stuff so is so, so good. And the song that got to me was the one she does with Keith Urban. Um, if I were you. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what like wrote me in. Yeah. But then, like, her side A, side B. Tragic is good. Tragic is tragic. So good. Reasons, bleachers. So God bad. bless this mess. Yeah, I could go on and on. So I'm very excited. Sweet. Well, I'm not going, so I can't wait to hear <laughs> all about it. You were invited. I was. Yeah, I definitely was. But I'm not going. Anyhow, Thank any you. other thoughts? No. A couple, um, couple of weeks away from Brett Young album. Yeah, we got some good Mitchell music Tempany coming album out. And- and- I'm always curious. I think our next podcast will do a little talking about Christmas country songs. I'm always curious to see if other artists start releasing some Christmas songs. I know Brett Eldridge released, re-released a deluxe version of Glow. Oh. I mean, he's like... He's got the perfect voice for Christmas songs. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that. I'll rave about Vince Gill. Yeah. But anyways, uh, stay in touch with us. uh, Raisedonit.blog. Shared all kinds of articles. Uh, we're officially done with CMA. That kept us very busy and almost very draining, writing all the previews and stuff of that. But we're back to our usual more fun and light. Yes. Uh, not yeah. so judgy. Yeah. Not so judgy. <laughs> yeah. Just a little less critique Yeah. Um, check us out, Raise on Top Blog, or on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, leave us a review, good, bad, or otherwise. Only but if you're going to leave us a bad one, uh, do that um, on a different site. Um, give us some stars, preferably three and above. We'll take two, but prefer three and above. Prefer five. No, nothing less than three. Anywho. Otherwise, don't do it. You're just a jerk. Right. So. But thanks for listening. Yeah. Will stay with us. Uh, any, if you have your favorite country Christmas songs, tweet us an Instagram message or leave a comment on one of our articles or email us on the site too. We'd love to hear what everyone's favorite country Christmas songs are. We'll probably do a. We should do a poll or Agreed. we'll just put it out. We can rank. Like, what's your yeah. favorite or who are your favorite Christmas yeah. Christmas country singers? So, yeah. yeah. Until then. Until then. Thank you.